Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We're preaching about the kingdom of God. We will be for several weeks to come. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 20, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. But I would encourage you in the weeks ahead, read the Sermon on the Mount. It won't take you long. Matthew's version is in chapter 5, 6, and 7. You also find it in Luke's gospel. It's not nearly as long in Luke's gospel. A lot of things that Luke doesn't have in his version of the Sermon on the Mount, he has Jesus saying as he is on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross. So, Matthew's version is the most entailed. It has several sections, and uh, we will talk about those as we come to them. But we started in the Beatitudes last week. Let's begin again. I'll read it from verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They may not be blessed here. Humility may leave you by the roadside in today's world, but he said in the kingdom of God. Humility, those who know they have not what it takes to face either themselves, the world, or God. They know they need God, and they're desperate for it. He says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, and blessed are the meek or the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Then he moves to another section. He will give us two similes. One is salt and the other is light. For you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
And then he moves to another section. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. And whoever annuls, this word means set aside, whoever just sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, See, that's the burden teachers, that's the burden preachers, that's the burden pastors, whoever keeps them first and then teaches them, can't do it without him, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And last of all, for I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We talked about this last week. I think we did say that in Matthew, he calls it kingdom of heaven. He's thinking more eschatological or more toward the end time. But basileia to theo, which is the kingdom of God, and basileia to urinos or urinoi is both the same thing. It is a kingdom, a group. It is a society within the world of those who have given their hearts and lives and allegiance and selves to God. They died to who they were, and they have put their faith and trust in Christ, and they live for Him. He's the most important thing in their life. You can look at their checkbook and look at their calendar, and it will absolutely repeat the same, that this person lives for one thing, and that is to serve God. Now, you might ask, well, then what's the difference in this group and just regular Christians? <laughs> well, there shouldn't be any because there's only one kind of Christian, and that's those who are part of the kingdom of God. It is not like, well, I'm not really where you were just talking about, Pastor Mike, but, but I, I, I am a Christian. I I asked someone this week about their faith, and the gentleman just told me, he said, oh, I was raised a Lutheran, and, uh, but I was uh, baptized in the Presbyterian church. Hadn't been in church uh, in a long time, but he's right here. I mean, it's incredible what people think about when you ask them, are they a Christian? Most people equate Christianity with being a good person, a good moral person. If you question that, they become offended. We really do not understand that Jesus said, look, there is a kingdom here in this world already, and it is made up of those who have put their faith and trust in me. I am their kingdom, their king, and they live in my domain. And they live among the world, but they're not of the world. They don't think like the world. As a matter of fact, he says you won't even get along with the world. And that line between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world, it runs right through families. It runs through marriages sometimes. You may be married to someone who's just not a part of the kingdom of God, and you are. 
It runs right through churches, by the way. There's some that are part of the kingdom of God, and there's some that are part of the church. And you can be both, but I can tell you, being a part of the church does not make you a part of the kingdom of God. And one of these days when he comes back to call his church home, he will be taking home with him the kingdom of God. That's why it is so important because it is not like, well, I may not be a part of his kingdom, but I do the best I can and, 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 and I don't curse nearly as much as I used to or whatever. I, I, don't, I don't know how you are justifying it, comforting your heart or whatever. I'm just telling you, you're either in the kingdom of God or you're not. And it is simple as that. So he goes on to tell us, by the way, those in the kingdom of God, they live by a different set of values. He said, blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. The meek get run over in the world's kingdom. But he said, those who are selfish and strong in the world's eyes, and they want to conquer the world, it's almost as if it's kind of a... An irony that he says it's the meek that will wind up inheriting the earth or the world. So I think that we have to look at these things and realize, wow, being in the kingdom, there's just a whole different set of values here, and and I need to understand what they are. We're going to begin at number 7 or verse 7 today. Blessed are the merciful. He said, in the kingdom of God, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. In the world's kingdom, the merciful may get run roughshod over, or they may uh, have people take advantage of them. And, and certainly there are people that, that will take advantage of their mercy and their kindness. But he said, I can tell you in the kingdom of God, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. There are two things in the New Testament that Jesus himself spoke from his own lips, that we cannot receive unless we understand what we're asking for. And one is forgiveness, and the other is mercy. Matter of fact, James says in James 2.13, judgment is without mercy to him who has shown no mercy. So if I'm going to ask for, let's say, forgiveness, If I ask God to forgive me, he says in this sermon later on, we'll read it. He says, unless you forgive others, you cannot be forgiven. The reason for that is I don't, I don't understand what I'm asking for when I ask for forgiveness. If I can't forgive you, that means I don't understand how God forgave me. So I can't forgive you and I can't receive forgiveness. That, that, man, that's a terrible place to be. You, you might be in a place where you're, there are certain things in life you wish you had, but you don't. But I can tell you, one place you never, ever want to be is in a place where you cannot receive forgiveness and mercy. But unless you realize that when I ask God to forgive me, I'm not just asking Him, hey, will you be all right with this? I, I know I messed up. That's kind of what we mean when we ask a lot of our brothers and sisters or people in this world. When we ask for forgiveness, most people in this world are just wanting things to be all right. They're not accepting the fact that I did something wrong. It hurt you, but I can't go back and redo it. So I am asking you, will you forgive me for something that you did not deserve? Will you pay the price of pain for something that I caused? 
Matter of fact, Jesus called our sins debts, and you know how it is. If you loan someone $100 and, and, and you forgive that debt, you don't get your $100 back. It costs you something, and we need to remember that about forgiveness. Mercy is the same way. We don't deserve mercy, but that's redundant because mercy is something that if we deserved it, it would not be mercy. You don't deserve mercy, but it, you can't deserve mercy. We might deserve empathy or sympathy or pity, but you will never, ever deserve mercy. Mercy is given to us out of a heart from God that gives us that which we do not deserve. Verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is where we come to the concept of integrity. Integrity is a mathematical term, integer, which means a whole number. Integration is another word we get from the root of this word that we have in English, integrity. That pure in heart means you've got your right on the inside. The place where nobody sees and the place that's easily hidden the place that you can dress up and make it look like something that it is not. You can fool us with that uh, most of the time because we just don't know. And, and in our world today, we're so afraid of, of passing judgment, even when it's needed. When someone needs correction, we hardly do it. We're scared to death of all of that. But I can tell you, you can hide that. And Jesus told us in the Gospel of John chapter 6, He said, that's why men love darkness rather than light. Because you can do stuff in the dark that you wouldn't do in the light. And he, he, when he says they loved it, he uses the word agape. Man, that is the most powerful form of love, the purest form of love that you can have. And most of the time it is used for God's love for us because it is a miracle to be able to love with a love with that much intensity. But he said there are a few things that the wicked love with this kind of love. There are a few things that the wicked love with this intensity. And he says darkness is one of them. Love the dark. Love the dark. Because their deeds are evil. Integrity is so important. Being pure in the heart. And I know we all do. We despise preachers who do not practice what they preach. But I'll tell you this. There's not a preacher that's ever preached that practices everything he preaches. If we were good at everything we told other people that we all need to do, man, I'll tell you something, our sermons would be really short. We fail. But we have to have forgiveness. But preachers are easy targets. Sometimes I want to ask people, well, do you practice everything you've seen? You sung a bunch of songs today that have some awesome truths in them. Do you depend on God the way you just sang about it? I'm not trying to be cute. I'm t asking you the truth. We, we, sing a better, we sing a better song than we live sometimes. Those things that you amen, and I, I, prob I hope I don't shut that part off because I like the communication, but 
when you amen something, is that because you're doing it or you just wish you'd do it? Or was that an oh me we heard instead of an amen? Really? The things you praise, do you, are you living the stuff you praise? Is that something you do? Things you insinuate. We assume if you're here, you're part of Cornerstone Fellowship, part of the body of Christ. We assume that you've already quit worrying about the tithing thing. You're given uh, from the heart. You're given sacrificially. Uh, you are a part of this. When you vote for the budget for next year, here in a few weeks, you are voting to say, not only do I believe that that's what God would have us do, I will personally be a part intentionally of making sure that we meet that. Always hate it in church when money gets tight. God's blessed us so much. I just can't thank him enough. But I've been in churches where money got tight and people would be like, well, I don't know what they're going to do. What do you mean they? There's no they to it if you're part of this family. (laughs) It's we. You need to learn to speak a little French. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Kingdom people bring peace to a situation, not belligerence. Think about this. There are some people that can just step into a situation because they really have the power and love of God in their heart, and they can bring two brothers together that have been alienated. They can help heal marriages. They, they just have a, a, a way about them that they can bring a measure of peace to whatever situation that they are a part of. But if you don't have that and you're not a peacemaker, sometimes you can be a troublemaker. Sometimes you can be the kind of person, and we, we hear this a lot, boy. <laughs> I tell you, people will say, oh, You hear about a meeting or something where something went on and a lot of people didn't like it and somebody will spout off, oh, I tell you what, they didn't want me in there. You don't sound like a peacemaker. And by the way, you're right. We didn't want you in there. Some people say, well, they better be glad I wasn't there. That's all I can say. That is all you can say because you're not part of the solution. So you can spout off all of those little things you want to and bow out your chest. But God didn't say, blessed are those who can stir the pot or blessed are those who can increase the consternation and division. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Man. Some people have the gift of disruption. Really? The gift of discouragement. Do do you bring that when you come in? This is a very, uh, boy, this is a deceptive one because we can be discouraging. I worry about this in my own heart and life sometimes. We can be discouraging and not even say anything. Just, Just being silent when we should have been encouraging. When we should have spoken a word to lift a brother or sister up, we just kept our silence. We didn't say anything against them. We just didn't say anything at all. And I do believe there are some people that, man, alive, it's just like, boy, they can just discourage you to death. They bring more doubts and make you wonder all kinds of different things. Some people are 
good at noticing things. Some people I will say, and I know what they mean by it, but they'll say, well, I couldn't help but notice. Sometimes I want to stop them right there before they finish and say, I know. You couldn't help it. It's a gift. You see it. Piece of paper in the parking lot, you saw it. Toilet paper was out in the bathroom six or whatever, or hey, we went over today, or we didn't start on time, or whatever. You couldn't help but notice, could you? It's like you're drawn to it. It's a gift. We hate it. We live with it. It's amazing. Well, ask yourself, what do I bring to a situation? Number 10 or verse 10, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This fits well with what we just said. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Not all suffering is for the sake of righteousness. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15, he says, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. If you get thrown in prison because you kill somebody, don't blame God. You can't say, well, I'm just suffering for the cause of Christ or I just whatever. You, you, if you suffer as a, as a troublemaker or an evildoer, that's on you, Peter says. And I love this word, troublesome meddler. Elatris episcopos is the word. You hear episcopos in there. And we know that episcopos is an overseer. Epi is over and scopos is scope like you see. And so, Elatris Episcopos is somebody that oversees the affairs that are not theirs. They're wonderful to have around, are they not? They'll give advice you don't even have to ask. Their two cents worth is, man, on the... (laughs) New York Stock Exchange is worth a billion dollars to them. Sharing things and overseeing things. Minding other people's business. I told someone this week that I was about to have a very personal conversation with. I told him, I said, look, before I start, I want you to know I got a Ph.D. in mind my own business. I don't like minding people's business. I don't like telling people. And I think the reason is, is I I hate it when other people mind my business. But Peter says, look, don't suffer as someone who oversees the affairs of others. I, I couldn't help but notice this or notice that or whatever. I'm just telling you, keep your nose out of other people's business. And if you get caught running your mouth about people when you should have shut up, Don't look around and go, well, that church, they're just persecuting me. No, I didn't say it. Peter said it. He said, don't suffer when you're overseeing other people's affairs. Verse 11, blessed are you. Do you see that? He went from third person to second person. See Miss Jeannie Divine after church if you have questions about that. She'll clear it up. But now he's looking at you. He says, blessed are you. Not they. He's gotten personal. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
because of Him. I want to tell you something. It's a shocker. And it's hard to get used to. But this world applauds very little that Jesus embraces. They say they do. They think that they're being like Jesus. Some will say, well, I left the church because they weren't acting like Jesus. But if you really read the Gospels, you might find out, no, the reason you left the church was because they were acting like Jesus. Because we only read a few things that Jesus ever said. We know He told us to love everybody. We know He told us to love our neighbor as ourself and love God with all our heart. More emphasis on the first usually than the second. But I can tell you, there are a lot of other things that Jesus said. And if you really look at Jesus' ministry, you'll realize He ran off almost everybody. He was not a church growth expert. Very few would follow Him. Thousands would come to see Him, but very few would follow Him because of the things He says that so many in our world today now just absolutely ignore. It's the things, the good, the feel-good, humanitarian things that, that will feed that, that spirit in you that, well, the church is just trying to jerk people around and preachers are trying to tell people how to live their life. So you pick and choose a few verses out of what Jesus had to say. You neglect the others and you kind of build and form your own Jesus instead of letting Him build and form you. Progressive liberal theology today kind of has this way of thinking that if you'll be like Jesus, people will love you. Well, can I quote him? John 15, 19, he says, if you were of the world, the world would love you. He says, the world would love its own because you are not, but because, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Now, I know. I've met people, too, that it seemed like their goal in life was to see how many people they could make hate them. You can be obnoxious. That's not what he's talking about. All you have to do is follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. That means you love people. You love them so much that sometimes you sit down with them and say, hey, this business that you are doing, this thing that you got going on in your life, it's going to ruin you. It's not right. That thing of calling sin, sin, man, Jesus wants us to do that, not because we can bold over people with arrogance, but we want them to be rescued from that. We want them to, to be able to have some freedom in their life from those sinful things. But nowadays, it, from the more liberal side of Christianity, man, it permeates so many of our churches. Your Christianity and your being like Christ is measured by how well you make people that are sinners feel like they're saved even when they're not. It's sad, but if, you be, if you're going to be like Jesus, I can tell you, sometimes you'll make a lot of enemies. This is him talking. He says, rejoice and be glad. 
For your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. From Abel to Zechariah, how many of them did they kill? How many? Man, it's incredible. As a matter of fact, I love Acts 7 where Stephen preaches this sermon. He is not even an official preacher. He was just one of those who helped serve tables, but Boy, he stood up on one of them one day. I, I, I made that up. I don't know. But he didn't have to. When he got on, man, he flat preaches a sermon in Acts chapter 7. And this is what he said in verse 52. So this is a long sermon, okay? Just said, thought I'd say that. In Acts 7, verse 52, he says, Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Oh, he's being a little smarty here, is he not? He said, which one? Can you name one your fathers didn't persecute? They killed those who previously announced the coming of the righteous one. And then he looks at the same crowd, if you go on and read the rest of it, and he says, and you murdered the righteous son of God. And wow, when he got done preaching this sermon, they were just so moved and so blessed and, and boy, so appreciative of a man of God willing to stand up and preach the truth. Boy, you, you know what they did to him. They had Pastor Appreciation Day right there. They stoned him to death because he hated him. They hated what he had to say. But boy, as he was taking his last breath, he looked into heaven and he saw Jesus standing to his feet. Man, I got to tell you something. It's hard not to preach the Word of God the way God wants you to when you consider the fact that no matter who hates you here, if you do it with the right heart the way Jesus wants you to, then you are received and loved and blessed and affirmed by the one that matters. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I asked a friend one time when I was in Bible college. We were just two young preacher boys at Fruitland. That was the first place I went to school. I hadn't preached but a few sermons. But I asked a friend of mine. As a matter of fact, I called the guy this morning. I knew his number. I called him, and I said, do you remember saying that? And he didn't remember it. I've never forgotten it. But I remember asking him one time, I said, man, and we would talk about our sermons and what we had preached on and stuff like that. We were just young guys. Man, I was 20 years old, and I was pastoring a church you can't put in our gravel parking lot, all that I didn't know about what I was doing. So I asked him one day, I said, man, I keep reading about these preachers in the Old Testament like Amos and and, and Elijah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. I said, Man, they preached. I said, they didn't seem, this is how you, you, ignorant I was. I said, they didn't seem to care what people thought. I said, are we supposed to preach like that? This is just two young imbeciles sharing wisdom. Well, he shared some. He said, yeah, I think we are. But he said, just remember. They killed every one of them. They killed every one of them. I can tell you, being like Jesus comes with a price. 
And he's trying to tell us that here. We need to understand that. Then he gives us two similes. Let's look at salt and light quickly. You'd think the Beatitudes are kind of leading us toward a counterculture, monastic sort of movement. The monastic movement was hard on the church because the believers collected themselves inside these buildings and they stayed away from the world and separated themselves. Salt that can't get out of the shaker is pretty worthless. So Jesus says, if you think I am preaching some quasi-monastic lifestyle, I'm not. He says, because 13, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under foot. Now, think about this. Both salt and light are measured by the effect that they have on other things or the world around them. Salt, okay, Salt, for my more liberal thinking friends, that tastes just like food that causes no disruption to the palate is worthless. Salt that blends in. Do you have some salt that doesn't taste at all like salt? They may give you some of that artificial salt. I used to, I I tried it one time. You know, they say it tastes just like salt. That's a lie. It's not true, because <laughs> salt is salt. It doesn't taste like salt. And, and w- when salt blends, if you had salt to put on your eggs this morning, and you had some that tasted just like eggs, and no matter how much you put on there, you couldn't even tell it was there. It was nice and quiet, peaceful salt, salt that gets along with everybody. Jesus said that kind's worthless. It is absolutely worthless. And by the way, salt itself, halite, really doesn't ever lose its saltiness chemically. What happens to salt that ruins its savor is it gets mixed with other infirmities. And then when it gets mixed with other infirmities, we are told in other places in the gospel, it is no longer fit for anything. He said you can't even throw it on the manure pile because they're going to put that on the field. And you know what salt does to a crop? It kills everything out there. You don't even know what to do with it anymore. So this is what he's telling us. If we lose our influence in this world, if you really get good at blending in, if you really get good at that thing of, of making everybody feel like we're all going to heaven and we're all okay and whatever you decide is fine, when you quit having an influence in this world, he says you have totally lost your purpose. He says, how will it ever be salty again? I want to tell you, Boy, that's a powerful truth, but we know it. Once you lose your influence, you usually never get it back. It's almost impossible. It's almost impossible to ever get it back. Unsalty salt is worthless. And so we're going to move on, but we need to make sure we understand that. As a matter of fact, this is kind of cool. The rabbis used to equate salt with wisdom. 
and, and, and because salt could have such a good effect on things around it, just, you could just put a pinch on something and, and you could tell it was there. So the rabbis would equate salt with wisdom. Now, this is what I think is really cool. The word that Jesus uses here when he tells us that when salt has become tasteless, the word here is moreno. And the word for moreno is the word we get our word moron from. Dumb salt. It means you're dull. You're like a knife with no edge. You affect nothing. You affect nothing. You're like, you're, you're moronic. You're, you, 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 you act stupid and, and, and silly. You're insipid and, and flat. You have no effect on the world around you. You just sit there and it might be scratching some emotional deficit you have in your life to feel like you really fit in and you know, a lot of lost people come to me to talk that they won't even go to church. Maybe you should ask yourself why. Maybe your salt is not doing the job. It's not having the influence. It is the same way with light. Light is measured by the influence that it has. Matter of fact, I'll give you another verse about salt. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you may know how to respond to each person how it can be made salty again or i'm sorry how you can speak to each person then he says how can it be made salty again well it can't it's worthless it cannot be repurified and so i'm just saying to you i'm not telling you if you lose your influence just give up and and, and just go away. I'm not telling you that, but I am telling you guard the influence you have. The, your ability to affect the world for Christ, man, guard that like it is a treasure. Because once you've lost it, man, that's a hazardous liability. We've lost when we lose our ability to affect others. I think one of the greatest examples in all of Scripture is Lot. In Genesis 19, when it re- he realized that God's about to tear this city down, he's about to destroy all these wicked people, Lot ran around, went to his own family and tried to tell them, hey, you need to get out of here, man. God is about to wreck this place. And they laughed. They laughed. Lot, what are you talking about, man? You seeing things? Last night at the party... You seem like he was doing pretty good. He fit right in, by the way, in Sodom. Matter of fact, he got a job as an elder. He sat at the gates of the city. Man, he is a politician. It's, boy, not only did he get into Sodom, Sodom got into him. But when it was time to leave and time to go warn people, hey, believe you me, I, I, I know I haven't lived like it, but I know a God that's going to destroy this place, and, and I need to come and warn you. They laughed in his face. Our influence, it's a powerful thing. I'm going to close with this. Being part of the kingdom, serious business, friend. Serious business. You know, this week, I just came across it on one of the news publications 
My heart broke. But I didn't, it just blew my mind. Read about a pastor, pastor of a First Baptist Church somewhere in Alabama, I believe it was. He was also the mayor of the little town. And he had been there for years. Someone found out that in his private life, he was cross-dressing. He was involved in pornography in an illegal, at an illegal level. And even though he begged them not to, there was a news agency that published photos. His wife even knew about it, but nobody else. At least he didn't think. When the police department came to arrest him a couple of weeks ago, he got out of the car with a gun and standing right there in front of all of them, he ended his life. My heart broke for him. It's, it's, what he was doing was bad. He lacked that purity of heart. He certainly would have lost his influence. And, and he hurt the influence of other preachers, Christians. I understand all of that. To be, but to be so caught up in something that when the day of reckoning comes, you cannot even bear to exist any longer. And you end your life quickly as you can just broke my heart such a travesty so let's make sure we understand this the only way we can be part of the kingdom of God and live like we are is to put our trust and faith in the power of Jesus Christ it's the only way if you're trying to do it on your own, you're living on dangerous ground, friend. You can't do it. When the hour of temptation really comes, you'll fail. When these other things, and I don't know how long this had been going on in this guy's mind, but I'm like, what a sick person. And, and, and we're told in the Scriptures that Lot, he's called righteous Lot, but it, he was terrorized. He was he, he was absolutely petrified day his soul. says his soul was anguished all the time. And I meet people. I know people. You do too. That maybe they really are born again Christians, but man, they're not living where they need to be and they're not living like they're part of the kingdom. And man, their soul is anguished. They don't feel good when they're out in the world. And they feel even worse when they come here. I don't feel good anywhere because something's going on inside. That integration, all the parts are not connected. Things on the inside are not what they seem on the outside. Man, and who would have ever thought? I promise you, I'd never met the pastor, couldn't even tell you his name, forgot the town. Doesn't matter. But I thought about him. I didn't happen in one night. A little compromise here. A little compromise there. And the next thing you know, his mind is poison. 
And the longer you do something, the more you can justify it. We'll look at light next week, but you know what it's like when you walk in a restaurant and out of the bright sun, you can't see anything. You sit there a little bit, though you can, can't you? You couldn't even see the menu. Of course, I can't even see the restaurant. But you couldn't even see the menu at first. Then you can, suddenly you can read it. They didn't turn the lights up. What happened? Your eyes adjusted, didn't they? Dr. Vance Havner used to preach a sermon called Getting Used to the Dark. We get used to it after a while. Get to where we can see and make our way through places that we would have never gone. And the further down that road you go, the better you can see and the worse your life becomes. My goodness. Man, if you're here today, come just as you are without one plea. See, that's, I, I can't even say, God, I've been, you know, I've been really good at church or I got these two things going for me. No, don't come to him with that. It's not let's make a deal. Come to him and say, God, I have no plea. I have nothing. I have nothing. I am guilty of sin, and I have no one to blame but me. But your word tells me you'll forgive me, cleanse my heart, and change my life, and heal my brokenness. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. What a guide. Lord, what a light in this darkness. Thank you, Father. And I pray for everyone here today. I don't know their hearts. But Lord, you do. You know, some are fighting guilt. Lord, they're not trying to be hypocritical. They're not trying to be mendacious or deceptive. They, that's not their goal, Lord. They, they can't even remember how they got to where they are. I pray, God, if there's one here today that way, that you would just... Speak to their heart right now. And I pray you'd help all of us as believers to take a fresh look and have a new sense of urgency, Lord, at the preciousness of being able to affect the world around us by not being like the world, but being like you in the world. I pray you'll help us, God. Help us as a church, Lord, to be a light in this darkness. Thank you so much, Father. We felt your spirit here today, Lord. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.